Welcome back, animals. This is Story Shamans. We're back in the cave. Oh, Billy. We're here to talk about some stuff. I know what we're talking about today. You don't know. No, I don't. I don't know what we're gonna about to talk about. No idea. Nope. Okay, let's dive right back into it. Okay. Okay. We're talking about the Man of Steel. Man of Steel. That's right. All right. Going back to 2013. Okay. Is that when it came out? That is correct. All right. That was a long time ago. Yeah, it's a while ago now. Yeah, uh, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. Okay, first thing I want to talk about mm-hmm. is this idea that it, it sort of subverted expectations. Subverted expectations. A little bit. So you're saying these animals take a seat and they're like, here's what I expect from Man of Steel. New Superman movie's coming out. That's right. That's what they got their, their little hearts set on. Yep. And they're coming. I'm trying to remember how I felt when I was sitting down to watch Man of Steel. <laughs> I was super pumped, man. I was really excited. Yeah. But even in that first trailer, right, that teaser, it's got a, it's got an almost, uh, yeah, not forlorn, but it's got like a, you know, muted colors. Mm-hmm. It's got almost a somber tone to oh, it. Yeah. And everybody was, was a little like, oh, I don't know. Oh, I don't know. Questioning it. I mean, let's let's back up a second. No. I didn't really like Superman Returns. No. Let me throw that out there. So that version of Superman. Like a lot I of wasn't, people didn't. I wasn't crazy about it. No, I mean, it didn't really work. It came out the same time Batman Begins did, which, you know, we talked about that a few podcasts ago. We were talking about the Chris Nolan Batman movies. Yep. Superman Returns came out the same time as Batman Begins, and the idea was that, like, oh, we're going to have a new trilogy of Superman movies and Batman movies at the same time. Yeah, more or less. Yeah, but, you know, Superman Returns didn't work out. Nope. I mean, I, I mean, there, there's good stuff in there, sure. But in general, it was a big nope for me, you know? Yeah, it was a big pastiche. It was a big, I love the, you know, Richard Donner movies. Mm-hmm. I love Christopher Reeves as Superman. Mm-hmm. Let's do it again. There's a lot of good stuff in there, too, but I'm not crazy about those movies either, you know? No, no. I mean, I, I like certain parts of it, but it is kind of like the, the Tim Burton Batman movies or the Schumacher Batman movies, where it's like, yeah, those were the versions of those characters at that time, and I've seen all of them, obviously. Yeah, sure. You know, and there's a lot to be said for what they added to the canon of, you know, that's how people experience Superman on film and everything. But in general, nope. I don't really like them. <laughs> in general, a big nope. Mm-hmm. So I think the thing that stands out for Man of Steel is that there was a, uh, a bit of wariness, a bit of people going, oh, I don't know. And then they saw the movie. Mm-hmm. And then we got plenty of people afterwards saying, oh, I don't agree. Oh, I can't I can't get on board with this. We got Mark uh-huh. Wade, pretty famous comic writer, uh-huh. you know, standing up in the theater shouting, no, that's not it, when he kills Zod. Oh, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, come on, come on, man. There's a guy who's dealt with Superman for quite some time. And he just visceral reaction of, oh god, no, he wouldn't kill somebody. Mm-hmm. But what I think is interesting is the take itself. If you if you really boil it down and, and take it apart and take a look at it, it's all the core elements are still there. All the, they're almost arguably stronger than they have been in the past. Like we got this story, they took the pieces that one could argue are definitively Superman, mm-hmm. like his innate desire and drive to do good. Mm-hmm. That's all over this movie. It's just deeply entwined. Like, it, it's just everywhere you look, it's in there. Mm-hmm. He asks his dad, Oh, I'm supposed to be like a secret. Oh, what was I supposed to do? Let that school bus of kids die? And he's like, yeah, maybe. You saw how Pete's mom reacted, right? She was scared of Clark. You have to keep this side of yourself a secret. Yeah. Like, he was dra- He knew he was supposed to keep stuff a secret, but he couldn't watch his classmates drown. I just wanted to help. I know you did, but we talked about this. Mm-hmm. We got him later. He's, he's grown up. He's traveling the world. He's sort of looking into his origins. He feels lost. But he, he's on an oil rig. He still saves those guys. It's on fire. It's falling over. He, he does everything he needs to to make sure they get out alive. 
idiot, and he gets blasted out into the water. Like, conceivably, he could have been hurt, for all he knows. We don't even know if he knows the limits of his power. Yeah. But he does it anyway. He doesn't say thank you, he doesn't talk to them, really. Other than to say, get the hell out of here. Like, he's driven to do it. He has to. We're doing it, we keep hitting this note throughout the flick. That, like, despite everything else, he has to do it anyway. That's a core Superman trait. We got this guy, it's basically they boiled it down to two different layers. One layer, Clark Kent, Kal-El, will never let people come to harm if he could have helped them. Like that moment when his dad gets eaten up by a tornado. Uh, it's traumatizing. He's screaming about it, and you know he regrets it. There's a deep part of him that later on in his life is just like, why did I let him do that? Why did I listen to him? That was ridiculous. I should have listened to what my what my inner self was telling me. I should have saved him. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think part of the most interesting thing about Man of Steel was it definitely had themes that hadn't really been explored in a Superman movie or even like a mainstream version of Superman. Like, there's been a lot of shows, you know, Smallville yeah. and Lois and Clark and, yeah. and Supergirl's on right now. You know, I mean, yeah. Superman on film had been portrayed as a Boy Scout, you know, with the Reeve movies and you know, with yeah. Superman returns. Yeah. And Man of Steel really was trying to tell a very specific version of this character where it takes these themes and really rolls with it. You know, we're gonna have this idea that secrecy and protecting your alien origins is incredibly important. Yeah. You know, and Smallville had that a lot, especially when the show first started. Sure, yeah. But like, the movie is turning it up to be like, this is real. Yeah. If Superman were real, what would it look like? If he landed in Kansas and he had a dad like this, how would he raise him? And what's, like, the most interesting part about it is, is this layered effect. It's like they said to themselves, I I haven't heard them say this at all, but it it seems to speak in the work that they looked at it and they said, okay, Clark Kent, Kal-El, Superman, he's always driven to do good. He's always driven to help people. If you're starting with that, then what are we going to layer on top of this to make it more, a bit more grounded, a bit more difficult? It's like, what if we we take on that his human family, especially his father, are of the opinion that no matter what, culture and society is a bit inherently something you should be scared of. Something you should be very, very wary of. Yeah, skeptical of. Not necessarily trusting of them because you don't know what they would do or how they would react to somebody like him existing. I let my father die because I trusted him. Because he was convinced that I had to wait. That the world was not ready. Yeah. Especially with Pa Kent coming from it from a very, like, almost a deeply held belief that that he is here for a reason, and he doesn't know what it is. But he trusts and believes that in the future, either self-created or not, but he definitely has a destiny feel to it, that it will be revealed. And that it is incredibly important what kind of man Clark grows up to be. You just have to decide what kind of man you want to grow up to be, Clark, because whoever that man is, good character or bad, he's he's going to change the world. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely that. But Jonathan is also taking that very protective, fatherly figure kind of mantle by saying, oh, yeah. it's my job to protect him. Yeah. And, you know, what's the threat? It was like all of humanity, man. Like, yeah. how they would react, what they would think of him. They'd be terrified of him, you yeah. know. And that's that's true. I mean, that's, that's part of the story. That's also a very accurate read of not just this version of the character, but of a realistic version of, hey, if this guy existed, yeah, like half the planet it would probably be really scared of him because he's so powerful. Yeah, right. Nobody like him exists that they know of at this time with this idea of opening up the 
world by having Superman be the first kind of superhero that's known to the world. He's not dropping into a world where you're like, yeah, there's a bunch of other superheroes and superpowered aliens walking around. Like, no, according to this human race, he's the only guy. Yeah, we get this, you know, this inherent fear from the social fabric and stuff, like this reaction of, if with this amount of true power, with this amount of true supernatural ability, what would humanity do in reaction? How would they feel? How would they react? They're symbolized, almost crystallized, in Batman vs. Superman with, with Batman's reaction. He has the power to wipe out the entire human race, and if we believe there's even a 1% chance that he is our enemy, we have to take it as an absolute certainty. And we have to destroy him. Oh, are we talking about Donna Justice too? To, uh, only no, no, for a second. No, we're not, okay, all right. Only in the sense that yes, like what we we spend this film with making the thematic statement that like you should be scared or at least concerned or at least wary about what society will do or think or feel or or how they will react. And we, we definitely have Pa Kent speak to that. We even have some of the Jarrell stuff speak to that, definitely. And then Batman vs. Superman just goes ahead and basically says, Pa Kent was essentially right. Mm-hmm. Like, not only is it crystallized in Batman's reaction, but it's also a large portion of the public is just like, oh yeah, screw Superman, I wish you would die. Like, that's <laughs> a big part of that movie. I mean, that's, that's what I really liked about Man of Steel, and when they continue it in Batman v Superman, you know, I, I do like Jonathan's uh, perspective. This yeah. idea that, yes, people will love you and they'll admire you, but, like, the other half is going to be afraid of you and maybe hate you a little bit. And, I mean, yeah. I think it goes back to what you were saying when we first started this a little bit. You were saying that, like, the audience reaction or the expectation coming in, that, yeah, Man of Steel was very divisive. There are people who love it. Yeah. Which I think is pretty clear that we loved it. That's, That's right. What we're talking about it here. And there's also the other half that says, oh, they kind of hate it because they didn't like anything that was done. They didn't like any of the creative choices of like, oh, that's not Superman. Or, oh, that's that's wrong. You're getting the character wrong. Instead of yeah. appreciating the artistic choice here, they're saying like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, Goyer and Snyder, and even Chris Nolan was a you know a producer on it. Yeah. And he was weighing in story-wise. You know, and they're basically saying yeah. like, no, no, you guys don't get it. You don't understand what he's all about or who he is. You're doing it wrong. And I think the really yeah. interesting part that I picked up on from them saying, you know, I mean, the impression I get from watching the film is that they had the idea that, yeah, yeah, Superman is all of these things. Like, he has the innate need to help people. He is inherently good. Yeah. He is inherently excellent. Yeah. You know, he is kind of like the, the potential of everything the human race could be by following his example. All yeah. of these these themes are in the story, but they said to themselves, okay, if all of this is true, how do we make it as hard as possible? <laughs> you know, how do we make it hard for, for Superman to be good? and to help people. Yeah. I was like, well, I mean, let's let's throw in the theme that, like, his entire childhood was based around the idea of hiding who he is. So yeah. to help people is to reveal yourself. Make it hard to help people, like how he let his own dad die yeah. instead of revealing himself. You made it really, really hard with this opposing theme. Which is an interesting and good way to go, narratively. If you're sitting there going, what are the complaints that people typically have about the character? Is that he's too perfect, he's too overpowered, why should I care, he's a big boy, 
scout, and he's got way too many abilities. He's yeah. godlike. Yeah, he's not conflicted about being so perfect. So for Man of Steel to go ahead and say, like, what's an opposing theme or an idea that we could add into this story that would make it hard to be Superman? Yeah. You know, just, just to follow that path of what if humanity wasn't happy he was here or super excited that he exists? Yeah. What if he's, you know, been raised to keep his identity a secret no matter what? Well, how do you help people with superpowers without revealing yourself? Like, that's yeah. what he does every time. You know, like, he almost exposes himself by helping the kids on the bus, helping the guys on the oil rig. You know, he kind of has to be not just uh, ambiguous, but, you know, anonymous in his life. He has to be the, the traveler who's moving from place to place. Yeah, Just kind of le- leaving a trail that Lois follows of, like, all of these deeds. I guess he can't help himself, but help yeah. people or use his powers because that's who he is, you know? I mean, like, he can't so be himself. The only way you could disappear for good is to stop helping people altogether, and I sense that's not an option for you. Like, they definitely, they kept the core of the character. He must help. He's driven innately to do so. But then, yes, trying to see what can we do to make it more difficult? What can we make it, you know, what if, what if they're right? What if society and humanity in general is skeptical and isn't necessarily inviting and, and accepting of his help? Yeah, what would that look like? And then they make the movie to explore these ideas. Yeah. And, like, that's what Man of Steel in a lot of ways was. So, I mean, to have an audience super polarized, some yeah. people get it, and they dig it, and they really enjoy what you're doing here, because Superman has been done so many times. He's been around yeah. for, like, 75 years. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, there's been so many different versions of the character. How do you bring something new? And just, it's so simple of an idea, but that's why I respect it so much, because it's so eloquent to just say, what if it's really hard to be Superman? <laughs> yeah, which makes sense, especially when you come in at that context of, like, oh, he's too good, too perfect, too overpowered. And you're like, no, 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 no. What if I do everything I can to make it really hard for the character to remain the kind of character that he is at his core? That's but exactly shape, what they shape the off. world around him, where it's just like, don't be you. Don't be yeah. you, Superman. Your yeah. parents are telling you to hide. The world is telling you to get lost. You know what I mean? Yeah. This crazy alien tyrant is showing up, and you're like, well, I mean, come on, I, I gotta... If there was ever a time for me to go fight the bad guy, <laughs> it's right now. Like, nobody else can do it. Yeah. And I, I think a good... This leans right into another piece I wanted to talk about here. Mm. That, that the film definitely does a really good job of just making in the theme into everything. It's everywhere. Yeah, I mean, there's a few themes that roll throughout the movie. I like all of them. I like, yeah. And I like the way that you fuse them all together. Keep going. <laughs> like everywhere you look, it's all baked in. It's all the same idea reflected in different facets and different ways. Like, But definitely speaking to different levels. Like we've got Pa Kent saying, hey, keep your secret. It's so important. I will die to make sure that you remain a secret. And then you've got a set, why, why is he doing that? It's because don't trust people, don't trust culture or society or the aggregate humanity. It's too dangerous. And not just that, but also the other idea to that, that Jonathan knows that if he were to reveal himself, it would change the world. And he's been spending all of this yeah. time trying to shape it into you're going to make the world a better place. Yeah. But he's also very aware your existence is going to break the world in half, man. It's going to it's gonna blow people's minds and it might get real weird yeah. really quick. And he's kind of terrified of what that's going to look like. Yeah, you I- show yourself two possible ways this goes. I really hope it goes the positive way. <laughs> I'm trying to make it that way by raising you to be a good man and to have all these strong values and to value humanity, but also making you feel like you're not really a part of it. Hide sure. yourself. 
You know, yeah, it's like, love them. Almost in an accidental way. Yeah, kind of inadvertently. Like, I wish this wasn't necessary kind of way. Yeah, but in a way, you are different from them, and to lead yeah. them, you can't be one of them. So, I mean, it's all kind of baked into taking these four or five different ideas and smashing them all together to be like, this is really complicated. It's yeah. really, it's hard to be Superman, man. It's really, it's, yeah. it's conceptually dense in that... Uh, it's conflicted, man. The themes are butting heads just on a philosophical level in this movie. Like, man, you're really laying in these different tracks of different themes, but they are in direct conflict with each other. Like, care about humanity, but hide from them. Help them, but you're not one of them. Yeah. Smash all that into a bowl well, I and mean, see what it looks like. And they take both of those down two different paths. Like, they sort of bake into the character of Clark this innate goodness and desire to strive for that kind of saving and goodness and, like, I care and I want to help people. Yeah, it's really interesting. And then the and then the Pa Kent influence is saying, no, 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 temper that with skepticism and secrecy. But then you also have the Jarrell stuff that definitely steps into the the same idea of like oh, culture's yeah. BS. Like society yeah. is gonna lead you down a bad path. Like that's all of. You know, he, he's only on Krypton in the beginning of the movie for very long. Later, we're seeing the AI like ghost of him. And it's speaking in the way, essentially, he would, too. But, you know, like, he and his wife had the first natural-born baby in, like, a thousand years. Like, Krypton, in its, at one point in its glorious history, had been rich with resources and, and explored out into the, like, outer reaches of space. That's how they're, like, outposts, one of them, in the Arctic on Earth. But then at some point, they got too tight. They got, their expansion was too much. They got a little, you know, a little too big with it. So then they had to contract down. They start mining the, you know, the the middle of their planet or whatever it was. Yeah. It was leading them down a bad path. It was, but you could see that that's also wrapped in their genetic stuff, their genetic programs, their eugenic weirdness. Like, people are grown out of the, you know, in the whatever pods. This is a Genesis chamber. All Kryptonians were conceived in chambers such as this. Every child was designed to fulfill a predetermined role in our society. As a worker, a warrior, a leader, so Your mother and I believe Krypton have lost something precious. The element of choice, of chance. Yeah, they're, they're, they're trying to control too much. They're trying to engineer a society instead of letting the chaos play out a little bit. You know, yeah. letting the magic of life play out. And, you know, having, yes. having the, you know, the first natural birth, making that a part of the story that, yeah. you know, Kal-El is the future of not just the Kryptonians, but also the humans. The idea of the theme of, like, you are the last hope, man. You are baked into letting life play out the way that it plays. You know, don't try to control it too much. Don't try to put it into a box. Let it be what it is to reach a natural expression of who you are, which yeah. is another theme throughout the story that I really I liked. I wanted to say this four seconds ago. I'm going to say it right now. <laughs> I really like the idea that when you're playing an origin story for Superman that you have seen a bunch of times and you're yeah. familiar with, to do the idea of it's basically just a guy saying to himself, who am I? Yeah. And exploring the idea of it, that he has different mentor figures who are all kind of whispering in his ear. Yeah, definitely. You know, and we get to watch the movie as it as it rolls out to have you know the intentions of his birth parents and all of this legacy and stuff wrapped up into this little baby. Yeah. Like we don't even know who you are as a person, 
but what you symbolize, the idea of you. We're gonna send you off into space, and you're gonna crash in Kansas. You're gonna have this couple, which are kind of equally awesome yeah. in their own ideas of like, wow, this is really important. How are we gonna shape this really important life yeah. to turn him into something, you know, greater than the actual man himself? But like, you know, it's the same idea if he's a symbol. He's gonna represent an idea. How do we shape that idea into the right positive expression? Yeah. But then also on a personal human level, like, this is our son. We gotta protect him from the ugly side of the world. The non-evolved, you know, or the lesser evolved aspects, the baser instincts that will want to destroy him out of fear and hatred and prejudice and all those ideas. Yeah. Yeah, But we just have this guy himself saying, I don't know who I am. I have these instincts to help people. I have these instincts to be excellent, to be the best version of myself and to spend a childhood hiding it, but it still kind of comes out. And then, you know, his dad dies, Jonathan dies, and, you know, he kind of reaches this, I need to go explore the world, I need to find out who I am, because at this point he has no idea, other than he was in a ship, he's an alien, he crashed here. That's it. Yeah. We get to see him just kind of aimlessly wandering the earth a little bit with this purpose and direction of, I'm trying to figure out who I am. Yeah. Trying to track down his alien origins. Yeah, following leads, but it's like he's kind of just grasping. He just kind of hit the road. And very existential, you know, 20-something, I'm going to go explore the world and try to find myself. Yeah. But for him, it's very literal, and he actually does find his dad, who can explain, this is who you are. All those things that you feel. Yeah, he just explains it. This is where you come from. This is what you were meant to be. But who you are is you are the best of them. Embrace it. Do you, homie. You know, like, that's what he's saying (laughs) in that scene, which is one of my favorite scenes in the movie, with Jarrell just talking to him. Yeah. Because it really does hit home, this idea of everything he was looking for, everything he was trying to find, he found it. There it is. You gotta be the best of yourself. Like, that's why you're here. Just be excellent, and the rest will follow behind you. You will give the people of Earth an ideal to strive towards. They will race behind you. They will stumble. They will fall. But in time, they will join you in the sun, Cal. In time, you will help them accomplish wonders. Yeah, I think it's really interesting about it, right, is we have the Paw Kent insisting on secrecy thing, and he's doing it out of a a sense of, you know, like when he tells young Clark, he shows him the ship, and he says, you know, uh, I'm sure you're here for a reason, and you're the answer to the question of, like, are we alone? You can almost say, he's like, oh, can't I just be your son still? And he's like, oh, you are my son. There's a taste, there's a subtext of the gravity of what this man understands about this kid. Not just in what he says, but but I almost take away like this energetic sense that he has a very real understanding that if, if situations, that if the situation goes wrong, if he screws up raising this kid, yeah. you could end up with a super Hitler. Yeah. You could end up with a very bad situation. Yeah, it's like, it's like I was saying, it could go one of two ways. I really hope it goes the positive way. Yeah. Which nobody's really ever done that, you know, on film or in TV or anything, with Superman saying the idea of, you know, what if he could be the bad guy? I mean, the comics have explored this a lot. Yeah, there are a few things. It's been those animated direct-to-video things have uh, tagged him. 
Yeah, a little bit of that. Because it's an, it's an easy way to go of the idea, what if Superman was the bad guy and Batman's got to stop him? Yeah. You know, it's a big <laughs> part of Dawn of Justice and stuff. But to bake it yeah. in the possibility that, yeah, the humanity of Superman, he has the same potential as any person. He could yeah. be the hero, he could be the villain. With this much power, it's really important that it not go the bad way. Yeah, what I think is really interesting, though, is that we have that Paul Kent stuff, and it's almost like he's looking out at the unknown of the reaction of the world. And he's and he's scared of it. Mm-hmm. Or he's at least wary of it. Big time, yeah. And he wants to give that to Clark. He wants him to have that same reaction. The unknown, you should take a big heavy pause and, and be scared. Yeah, he wants to prepare him for what is eventually going to happen. You're going to have to deal with this. Yeah. I want you to know that it exists. Like, right now. Yeah. You're 13 or whatever. You need to understand. But we also have Jarrell explaining to Clark at various pieces here that, like, yeah, uh, we did this, we expanded, we contracted, we were ruining our planet. Well, we were genetically engineering our, our people. So we had warriors and leaders and politicians and scientists from birth. But you are not one of those. You We, we, we popped you out. You're just a product yeah. of your mom and dad. Yeah, you can be whatever you want to be. What if a child dreamed of becoming something other than what society had intended for him or her? What if a child aspired to something greater? You were the embodiment of that belief, Carl. He literally is is reaching out to the unknown and saying, that's where hope lies. Yeah. Do that. Be that. That's a way of taking this hope theme that Superman's all wrapped up in. Yeah. And just doing it. Let's dig into the idea that what is hope? What does that mean? How and why does Superman embody that? How is he the symbol of hope? Let's talk about it. You know, like, yeah. that's what they're doing in this movie. I yeah. loved it. You know, I mean, I've never seen any other Superman stuff on film talk about, in a philosophical way, the idea. Who is Superman? Yeah. Does he even know who he is? Does he understand? What is hope? Why is he the embodiment of hope? How does he get there? Yeah, just thematically baking it in and being like, oh, what if Darrell is one of the member of a dying planet? It's not just, oh, I hope my kid survives and I got him out of this, you know, burning volcano right before it ended. Like, no, he was looking at his society and it had gotten sick. It had thought that its brain could really, I don't know, figure itself out even though it, it was eating itself. Yeah, you could orchestrate everything and thus it would be perfect. And then it, but it's, it's not. It's embodied even, right, in the in the first scene where, you know, we have the politicians, you know, still yakking it up about what are we going to do? And it's like the planet's yeah. exploding right now, you fools. And then we have Zod come in. He's trying to do a military coup on a planet that's, a, that's like hours away from exploding. Yeah. yeah, but he doesn't know what else to do. If he was born yeah. and bred to be a soldier and a leader, he he's going to do. He doesn't understand. It's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. You're like, come on, man, you're not thinking this through. You're not being a fully well-rounded person. You're being, like, a little bit of a robot who is programmed to serve a function. Yeah, and it's that sort of, it's that sickness. It's that we thought our brains could intelligently just sit down and do a really good job of engineering a society that was well-functioning, efficient, and, and successful. And what Krypton symbolizes is that was folly. You screwed it up. It exploded on you. Yeah. Which I, re- I really like in that scene when Jarrell's talking to, to his son and explaining everything that happened. Yeah. He basically does say, It was hubris, man. Yeah. We got too big for our britches. We tried yeah. to control too much. We tried to do too much. It kind of ate us up from the inside out and it just collapsed. It was a house of cards yeah. and it all just came down. And we didn't see it until it was too late. And how it plays into the idea of Clark forming you know, who he is into becoming Superman. You gotta understand. Yeah. 
you know, watch the hubris. You know, be <laughs> weary of it. Like you have speak. so much power. Yeah. It's really important that you get this. And, 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 and what's amazing, like, so fantastic in that scene and, and everything we learn is that, one, that Jarell saw how sick his society was. He kind of saw, in, in, in pieces at least, right? He built a ship. Yeah, he was prepared <laughs> and he for stole, it. he stole the codex and he put it in his kid. Like, he understood the importance of legacy and that Krypton hopefully should not be forgotten. But he also was sitting there, reaching into the unknown and saying, Oh, this was all a mistake. What if, what if we got back to what we probably should have been doing the whole time? Let's not act like we know everything. Let's have a natural baby and see what happens. And then when, when my hologram self talks to him as an adult, I'm going to explain to him that you are very purposely hoped, not designed, hoped to be a bridge between two peoples. Then let me tell you that our crest, our family crest, means hope. And it's and it's specifically tied into his understanding or desire or hope for humanity. For it to speak to humanity's potential to do good. And if you look at Clark's face when he says that to him, it's right when his suit is revealed for the first time in the ship. Yeah. And it's all lit up awesome. And he says that to him, the potential for them to do good. And his face just, it's subtle, but it lights up. Because it that's, speaks to that deep core yeah, of him again. That's exactly who he is. Well, I really yeah. like, for that, for that scene, crystallizing all of these themes and those ideas, Yeah, he is saying, hope is about the freedom to choose. You weren't designed yeah. to be Superman. You are Superman if you want to be. Because being Superman is helping others, leading the way. And Clark yeah. is just like, yes, that <laughs> is me. That's who I am. You just said the thing. That I've been feeling my whole life, but I haven't been able to express. Yeah, and that other people have told me over and over again. Yeah. Hey, 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 hold on, hold on. Not that, not that. I've had I want to do yeah. good. Yeah, well, but maybe less of that. Like, cool it. No, 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 no. Hide it. Try to do it in a way that you're not super comfortable with, like in the shadows. Yeah. He's like, no, I just want to be who I feel I am inside. Yeah. That potential, and Jarrell basically gives him permission. Yeah. To, you know, he just says, that's it. That's what you gotta do. Lean into that. Which is if so, you want to. Which is so perfect for this story to be mapping itself a little bit, right, on just the, the sort of prototypical masculine journey to adulthood. Mm-hmm. Like, it's really speaking to, especially with all the pocket and secret stuff, like, it's, it's speaking to, oh, Clark knows in his heart and in his gut what he's about, what he's being told to, like, hem it in, hem it in, hem it in. And then he's like, you know what? I think I really need to find out, like, that other piece of my being and identity like who where did i come from and why am i here and who are those people who am what's that missing part of me and then when he finds it it's literally a very primal and straightforward yes feel completely free to embrace everything you've been kind of holding too tightly to and hemming it in like let it go that's what you're here for your potentialities, your power. Step into it. Yeah, gro- I mean, growing up, it is kind of about fitting into society. Be like them. Yeah. You know, hide who you are, pretend to be human, but I have this innate need to help people. Okay, as long as it doesn't reveal the fact that you're an alien and that you have superpowers. I mean, I, I like this about you. I like that you're shaping <laughs> up to be a good person. I like that you want to help people. Yeah. But hide it. Society's trying to tell you who you are. Yeah. Despite how he feels inside. And then as he, you know, 
follows along this track of, yeah, it's a coming-of-age story, especially for, like, the whole first half of the movie. Yeah. It's about how do you make a Superman, and so it is kind of like, well, I mean, how does one become a man? Let's follow this this thematic idea, this thread of just this yeah. guy's growing up, but this is Superman, so, like, he's going to take it to another level beyond that. Yeah. But, storytelling-wise, yeah, we're just doing a coming-of-age story for this guy. So to, to reach that point where he has, you know, his other dad telling him, go for it. Yeah. Do it, man. And then he does. But a big part of that is to resolve the conflict between Jonathan, his, you know, his human father, and Jarrell, his Kryptonian father. Yeah. These, these two separate ideas, he's going to have to make a choice. To really be himself, he will have to reveal himself. Yeah. You know, and like both of his dads died for these ideas. Yeah. And it's just, you have to choose, man. You gotta take this leap, this massive leap, and just kind of trust humanity. He's like, oh man, trust humanity? The thing I've been raised to be super weary of? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, man, are you gonna do it? Are you gonna go for it? And because of the narrative, this is right when Zod reaches Earth, and he forces him to make a choice. Yeah. You know, I mean, he just, he just goes home, and he, and he sees his mom, and he's on the farm, he's doing dishes. You know, I was like, you have a really huge life decision to make. Yeah. Now that you know who you are, and what you should do, Where's the catalyst? It's immediately tested. <laughs> yeah, just immediately. You have to decide right now. You can't put this off. Zod is here. He's calling you out. Yeah. You have to re- reveal yourself to the entire human race because Zod beat you to it. He's yeah. on every TV and radio across the world. Everybody knows there's a guy here who, and he's been hiding out. Are you gonna are you gonna raise your hand? Stand up and say, yeah, that's me. Yeah. Like, you gotta do it, man. What are you gonna do? And put yourself in harm's way. Like, it's not even just a reveal, yeah. right? It's like yeah. a, he, he's he literally he's, turning himself over. And he knows he can't trust Zod. Yeah. But he's gonna have to do it anyway because of that streak, that innate goodness. He He's conflicted. He goes to the church, right? He's like, I just don't know if I can trust. I know I can't trust Zod. I don't know if I can trust humanity. Zod can't be trusted. The problem is, I'm not sure if the people of Earth can be either. Yeah, that's the theme that we're talking about, of this idea of hope, is reaching into the unknown. And do you trust them? Are you going to believe in the best in them? The best of them? Yeah. And I was like, that's a very real conflict, you know? Can humanity trust Superman? Can Superman trust humanity? Sometimes you have to take a leap of faith first. The trust part comes later. Yeah. You know, it's really hard to be this guy, to take a character who is such a Boy Scout. It's fantastic. And to make it really conflicted and really interesting. Yeah. And to have it wrapped up in just this guy making a choice. Is he going to take the leap? And of course he does. And it's a, it's a really cool way to transition the first half of the movie into the second half of the movie. You know, I mean, it really is this whole first half is him getting there and leading up to this choice. And then he makes it. And then, boom, let's, let's play out all the consequences and to have all of the themes of Zod trying to resurrect Krypton. And you know, also one of my favorite parts of the movie is when Superman says Krypton had its chance. Yeah. I love that part because he's grown into this into this fully formed Superman where he can say, I understand what happened to Krypton. Yeah. I feel it on an emotional, spiritual, primal level. It's everything Jarrell was telling me. It was the hubris. It was the trying to control things too much. It was taking the magic out of life. Yeah. That kind of led to this downfall that you have to be what you really are. Krypton had its chance. Humanity is still living its chance. Yeah. It hasn't destroyed itself yet. I'm going to show humanity and the world how not to end up like Krypton. Yeah. So to have Zod personify that theme and that idea, it's everything that Jarrell was fighting 
fighting against. You've embodied it in this character. This yeah. person represents hubris, and you're trying to construct a life that he's pure soldier. Yeah, that's what's such a. That's why it's such a good idea to have the main antagonist with all these themes be a soldier grown from the genome up to be a soldier. Yeah, he, it's it's literally who he is, and he's embracing it. Yeah, the theme of be exactly who you are. He yes. may, and Superman can say like it's destructive to be that narrow-minded. Yeah, it's almost like he he. It's not just growing up as a genetically engineered like fantastic military strategist leader fighter guy. But like it's all him him symbolizing the adherence to rules and law. Yeah, I and mean, like he's not... trying to overthrow the government at the end at the at the beginning of the film at the the end of Krypton's life. But he's only doing it because he feels the politicians have completely lost their way in their mind. Like they're running us into ruin. And if I have to, I'll enact martial law and I'll take over. And when he gets to Earth, it's like, look, this is just what has to happen. Cal, like, what? <laughs> we found a new planet. It's, I have a world engine. It's time to make Krypton come back. Like, that's just what we do. We protect the planet. This is ours now. We're, we're literally better than them in every conceivable way. Yeah, we're... What's your problem? We are gods. We are superior to them. We are better in every way. We have a right to steal their planet. It's more of that hubris. We have a responsibility to exterminate them. And you're like, Sod, what are you talking about? But he's completely embraced the idea, the ideological manifestations of himself. You know what I mean? Like, this is who he is. He's embraced the identity. He's fully formed. He's chosen to embrace this is who I am. I believe in what I believe. Uh. And it is the exact same themes and the exact same things that Superman is dealing with, but it is the negative, corrupted, you're gonna exterminate this entire race of people because you think that you're better. Uh. But you destroyed yourself, man. You guys played the game and you lost. Yeah. And now you're gonna try to come in here and take this planet from these guys. They haven't destroyed themselves yet. So they are better than you. There is potential here. Yeah, there's potential. There is hope here. Krypton is dead. Yeah, I, I just great. love that. I just love that you can sum all of this up in Superman just shouting like one line. Krypton had its chance. <laughs> he just cuts through it and he just says it. Krypton had its chance. And like what Zod represents, kind of almost very specifically, the sick version of Krypton. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, he doesn't represent the golden age of it. He represents yeah. the narrowing and. Far too specialized version of it. Yeah, like Jarrell was the best of Krypton before it ended, and Zod is kind of the worst. Yeah, in a very real way. Like, he's very good at what he does, but it's too narrow, too specific, too hyper focused. And it's that kind of narrow minded, you know, unilateral decision making based on rule sets that maybe don't make sense. That, I mean, they make sense to him, but it's that kind of thinking that leads to ruin, that led to Krypton's eventual demise. Yeah, he, he doesn't see it. He doesn't get that. That's what I think is really well, interesting about Zod. Yeah, he doesn't care because he's like, no, 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 we're still alive. We're still here. We can make a new Krypton. Like, he's this fully formed soldier with this really hard-nosed ideological stance. So he is fully embracing himself. This is who I am. And I'm going to keep doing that because it's right. He's so righteous. Yeah. It's the hubris. He doesn't see anything else. He doesn't get it. He doesn't understand that that type of thinking, exactly who you are, that is what destroyed Krypton. Yeah. You're missing the point. <laughs> now you're trying to destroy Earth. And Clark, 
Superman. He's like, no, man. This is my home. I'm yeah. going to protect it. I'm going to save these people because that's who he is. <laughs> I like that he questions it. There is a moment where Clark's like, well, wait, what happens to Earth then? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's not that flippant about it, but it's just like, wait, what this plan? Well, what happens to these people? So what happens to Earth? Oh, you, know? you know, skulls under your feet. Ah, oh, what? No, because he does like the idea of preserving Krypton. He's like, oh, we can make a new Krypton? That would be amazing. That would be perfect. Because it's a big part of who Superman is. It's like his other half. He is Kryptonian. You know, he would want to see his race survive. Especially since he just learned that there's more. It's not just him. Look at this whole ship full of Kryptonians. Like, yeah. That's a great idea. Yes, I have the codex in my own genetic code. Let's recreate Krypton. Well, I mean, it's going to be crushing humanity under our boot to do it. Whoa, <laughs> hold on. Krypton had its chance. Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. It's not worth it. It's That's what's so interesting, too, right? Because then the movie's taking time to, like, set up that... For Clark's personal experience, Krypton almost is is like a label for... Or his Kryptonian heritage is a label for that thing inside him he'd always wanted to express and was constantly told to kind of tamper it down. Yeah, the, the it's alien like, Kryptonian side of him versus the, the humanity side being raised here on Earth. Yeah, yeah, the two are in conflict and having that idea that he anchors into the idea of, like, yeah, the Kryptonian side of me is that. Yeah, it's like that, that innate goodness and desire to do great things. That's Krypton. Like, that's almost what Jarrell kind of tried to spell out for him. But then if you look at the history of Krypton, and then you look at what's symbolized or crystallized in the characters of Zod, Feora, and the rest of the team here, it's the opposite. It's the sick version of Krypton. It's, it's nothing about freedom, potentialities, or, or goodness. It's all about just the, the narrow-minded programness of them. Yeah, I mean, it, it really boosts the idea that it's like, both. Clark, that's not your Kryptonian heritage. Yeah. That's you as a person. That's that's maybe a gift that Jonathan Kent and Jarrell gave you. Yeah. But it's really, that's that's only the, the nexus of two different families. It's who you are. It's what you were born with. That kind of magic, ineffable center point of your being. Yeah, but it's very specific to you as a person. It's not your humanity. It's not your Kryptonianness. It's you. Yeah. Clark, the man. Yeah. And it's, it's, awesome. really, it's a really cool idea. Yeah. And it's awesome what this movie, I think it speaks a lot to not only the archetypal, like, uh, you know, man's journey from adolescence to adulthood, but also dealing with themes of power and masculinity in general. But the thing I really like, the way that you can really turn the volume up on this idea with Superman specifically, yeah. that a big part of coming-of-age stories and going from, you know, a, a boy to a man yeah. in, a, in a masculine coming-of-age story is that you kind of take on all the responsibility of adulthood. You take on all the responsibility of being a good man. And for Superman, that means taking on the responsibility of the entire world. Yeah, we turn this up to 11. It's just, he's a demigod walking the earth. Yeah, he's the all-dad now, you know? He's not just a man, but, like, everybody's gonna look at you to show them the way. Yeah. You have to be a super man. You can save a cow. You can save all of them. The responsibility of the entire world is now on your shoulders. And he's like, I'm, I'm not really sure what I'm doing. I'm making choices. I'm making hard decisions. Yeah. They're going to be judged for the history of time. Yeah. And I'm just doing my best. And that's what part of what makes him very human. And when he kills Zod in this very polarizing yeah. choice, like, oh, that's not Superman. Yeah. I was like, he's making the hard choices, but he doesn't know what he's doing. Because this is literally, he just became a Superman. He's taking on all the responsibility, yeah. and he's at the end of his rope.
help. And he's like, I don't really know how to do what I gotta do. I gotta protect them from this guy who is a zealot to yeah. his ideological ideas here, man. Like, his stance is yeah, so like- pure. How do I stop this guy? Yeah, and Zod spells it out for him. Like, Clark shouts something about, like, you don't have to do this, stop. And when, he, when he's looking to, like, you yeah, know, yeah. fry those that family with his eyeballs. Yeah. Out. And he says, he literally just says, never. <laughs> I will never <laughs> stop. He's like, let me skip to the end on you, pal. I'm not, not only am I not going to stop, I will literally never stop. Yeah, it's, it's like, Superman, you don't understand. I believe in my heart exactly what I'm doing. Yeah. I will never stop. I'm more powerful than you are because I'm a soldier. I know how to fight, man. You know, you're just a farm boy. You know, this is your first time in the ring. You have no idea what you're doing. I do. I'm a tyrant. I'm going to destroy this world. And people would say, the critics would say, Superman finds a way. Yeah. I was like, this is a this is a learning experience for Clark. Yeah. But yeah, after this, he will always find a different way, a better way. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Like, where does that idea come from in Superman's progression? Yeah. Where is he so dedicated to the idea there's always another option? I will not think in terms of black and white. Yeah. This duality. I will be life, forced to death. That. Yeah, nobody's gonna twist my arm. Like Zod did. He got under his skin. Easily, yeah. He challenged him so hard. Superman hates the idea of taking a life. Yeah. He hates it. But he feels like he has the responsibility that to protect his human family, this entire world, I have to do the thing I hate the most. I have to be self sacrificing. I gotta stop this guy. You I'm are. the only one who can. Yeah. A big part of it, too, I think, is the, that I, I guess other people would argue that it's a lot of subtext. Like, yeah. there was no oh, yeah, point. Definitely. There's no point in this film where Superman sat as a kid or as an adult and said to somebody, I just really hate the idea that anyone would ever have to die. You know, or like, <laughs> they're like, oh, I just wish I could save all the sentient beings of the earth. Like, he never says these things outright. No, he never explains himself at all. I mean, it's, and that's another criticism. It's a very meditative, like, he's sort yeah. of a quiet character. Yeah, they, they throw that at the movie that, like, Superman never explains himself. We never know what he's thinking, and especially with Cavill playing the character, he does play it very pensive and very stoic yeah. and very... It's, it's all going on under the surface. It's a very contemplative yeah, aspect he, to him. And, and the whole movie is very meditative, and yeah. it's very, not abstract, but impressionistic. Of, like, look at all of these things. Look at what I'm trying to convey through the actions not necessarily the words. Yeah. Because it's, it's part of his isolation. The most talking he ever yeah. does is to, you know, his parental figures. Yeah. And Lois. Yeah. And the priest for four seconds. You know, like, he never really talks because he is alone. And that's part of the, not just the isolation, but the responsibility of, it's not a collective of leaders, people, you know, there's not like 12 kings sitting around talking about how do we save the world. It's just one guy. He's yeah. by himself. He has to make these hard calls. Yeah, so the alienation you know. angle is huge in this movie. Yeah. Because he is singular in the world until Zod and the other Kryptonians show up. Yeah, but they're the enemy. They're they're the complete opposite side of these ideas. Yeah. It's like that's everything you don't want to believe. Everything you don't want to do. Yeah. It's like, uh, yeah. It's everything everyone's scared of about you. But I think that is a criticism, right? That people come at it like, oh, you know, if you were to sit there and say, like, oh, yeah, Superman would hate to kill anybody. And it was like, oh, how? You're making that up. Like, the movie didn't really say that. It's, and it's, it's, it's there the entire 
entire time. I could, yeah, I could see people making the argument, but it is. It's like if you're watching, you it, it really does demand that you take note of and pay attention to his actions. He's saving people constantly, but he's not doing a whole lot of talking about it. Yeah, I mean he's not a he's not a talkative character, and even then he wouldn't really have anybody to talk to. Yeah. Like he could talk to his mom and be like, I really love saving people, Ma and she's like, Yeah, I know. Why are you saying this out loud? Like it's <laughs> what, part of the sitcom? What is yeah. this? It's part of the style of the story in the movie. It's very yeah. visually based. Just look at this. What yeah. do you think it means? It doesn't explain much, and it is the subtlety of the story. That's part of what I really like about it. Yeah. Donna Justice, maybe you know, they turned it up even more on that one. Yeah. But like you have to dig in. You gotta think about it. You gotta pay attention to what everything represents and what it means. The most talking you're gonna get is from both of his dads. <laughs> They're gonna do some of that legal and Lois does a lot of it too. Yeah. She kinda conveys a lot of these ideas of like, I'm looking at everything you've done. I've been tracking all of your deeds, I've been following you through your life. I've been talking to the the impact you've made on all these different people. Yeah. And this is the picture that I put together. What do you have to say? And he, doesn't, he doesn't say anything. You know, he just kind of smiles at her. Like, yeah. And that's it's fantastic. Kinda, that's the character. I mean, that's that's a fantastic part of Superman. I love it. Like, he doesn't boast. He doesn't explain himself. He doesn't yeah. talk that much. And he's doing, in that moment, right, they're just riding that thematic line, or, or, or at least the character core line of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm proud of the fact that I've been doing the thing that I feel driven to do as a person. But I also am acknowledging and honoring the fact that I'm supposed to keep myself a little hidden. Because not only because I made a promise to my dad, but also because I recognize the practicality of it. I recognize maybe the necessity of it at this point. I'm still, I'm still hiding. There's, there's a lot of humility in his behavior. Yeah. That really plays into how this character is being portrayed. He doesn't want the attention. Like, that's a straight theme. He's trying to be anonymous. So the idea that he would be boastful, or that he would talk about himself, or he'd be uh, egotistical, you know what I mean? Or he'd be, uh, you know, vain, or he would be kind of narcissistic. Like, he's the complete opposite of all of that. Yeah. He lets his actions speak for themselves, so he doesn't really do any of that explaining for an audience to understand, oh, what, you want to help people? Yeah. Like, uh, of course, yes. You've been watching two and a half hours here of me doing that. It is kind of like looking at the style of the film, the way it's shot and the way it's written, and the way, you know, all the performances and how they play out. It is very much, it's not super conventional in no. its dramatization. And and you could say it is a fair criticism. Like, well, from a storytelling perspective, you kind of have to lay it out for an audience. You have to tell them the story. And yeah, I know you that's, could argue that, yeah. Yeah, but I know that when Snyder's doing it, he's he wants wants you to engage with it, you know? Like, yeah. He wants you to get into it, man. Like, dig in. It's a lot of kind of comic stuff, you know? Like Grant Morrison comics of yeah. you have to engage with the character. Or you're gonna miss it. You know, yeah, like, Grant, like Grant's run, you know, the all-star Superman that he did. Yeah. I, when I read that book, I do think a lot about Man of Steel, the film. That, like, yeah. Snyder was clearly looking at Superman stuff, and he's like, let's forget about the Donner movies. Let's forget yeah. about Lois and Clark, even Small the more pop culture ideas of who Superman is as a character. It's been done a lot. Yeah. Let's try to do something else, a little more nuanced, a little more complicated, and a little more impressionistic, and try to engage, you know? I mean, he's, he's obviously pulling inspiration from the Nolan Batman movies, yeah, you know, bit. collaborating with Chris Nolan and talking to him. Like, yeah. we want to do for Superman what you did for Batman. Yeah. How do we do that for Superman? Yeah. 
They're like, you gotta dig into the ideas, the, the conflicted themes. You gotta dig into trying to take it to another level. Let's not explain the story. Let's demonstrate it. Let's show it and have the audience engage. And, and most definitely, the audience did engage. Even people who hate it, they really passionately hate it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because they care and they're engaged with it. And you disagree with these ideas because you had a certain expectation. This is who Superman is to me. And you're not doing that. You're doing something else. Yeah. And I don't like it. Yeah. And I'm coming in and I'm saying, show me something. Yeah. I look at it and I'm like, I see everything you're doing and I dig it. Yeah. I really like everything you're doing. And it is true and consistent with the comic character of Superman, which yeah. I, you know, I mean, I grew up on Superman comics. I'm more familiar with the comic version of Superman than any film or TV show. You know, the pop culture idea of who he is. So, I mean, people who aren't that into the character, they're not that into the comics. They could just say, I know Superman, you know, Christopher Reeve Superman. That's who Superman is. Yeah. And you should just be doing a modern version of that. And you're not doing that at all. And, ooh, I don't like it. <laughs> I mean, I would say to him, give it another chance. I mean, just kind of wipe the slate clean. Come in fresh. Watch the film. Try to understand what they're doing and roll with that. Yeah, they're definitely... It, it feels like Snyder came at it and, and the script they built was just like, look, let's try to keep the core elements and let's make it very much about a, a humanistic man's journey. And from there, Snyder came into it and he's sitting there going like, okay, let me wrap you in these images. I feel like the story points we're giving you tell you what you need to know about the story and the type of story we're telling. And from there, hopefully I'm going to wrap you in these beautiful, you know, in, involving slow-mo where necessary or where he wants to he's gonna he's gonna wrap you up in it and the story's gonna take you where they want to go and it's not gonna be what you're expecting necessarily but it's gonna be beautiful and hopefully humanistic and it's gonna speak to all these thematic concerns and it's gonna talk to power and leadership and and the responsibility in this sort of archetypal position that people tend to think of superman occupying that almost godhood type place and that leadership element. And how can we tie that into one individual man's journey growing up? And, a, and the fall of a society. And the folly of their, their sort of hubris. And then what does that mean for humanity? And how what reflections you can see between how Earth is piloting its Earth, you know, its spaceship versus Krypton. I mean, I guess that is the crux of the story, that they did approach it as, how do you make a Superman? Yeah. Let's follow this journey. How does he get there? And there's some hard choices along the way, like killing Zod. Yeah. You know, and it is like all of these decisions, everything that he does, all these hard choices that he makes, like the thing I was talking about, him making that choice to reveal himself, him yeah. making the choice to not save Jonathan from the tornado. Yeah. You know, like every choice that he makes along the way shapes who he becomes. And that theme that just rolls through it, that's an idea. That's how you become a man or a person or, you know, a superman. It's about being tested and then making those choices. And then what you do after you make the wrong choice. Yeah. And what you do after you make the right choice. You know, you have to deal with the consequence as part of the responsibility. You made the right call, but now, you know, humanity disagrees with you. Or like, oh, I made this decision and now they're scared of me. What yeah. do I do next? How do I keep moving forward? How do I keep growing? So for an origin story of this character, how do we deconstruct Superman? How do we thematically 
build a Superman. What does that look like? It's messy, and it's conflicted, and that's why I really like this story. You say, that's not Superman. It's like, he's not Superman until, like, the very end. Like, the very end of this story does he get to be to that point where you're like, okay, yeah, that's the Superman that I know. Like, yeah, we were taking you there. That's what this story was. It's a lot like Batman Begins. He's not Batman until, like, the very end of that movie. It's the journey. It's the last act of that flick that he's really Batman. Yeah, not just like wearing the suit, but like in his heart and in his mind. When did he become that character? Like at the very end. Like the very end. I mean, so I mean, all of this stuff with Zod making all those crazy hard choices where he literally had to choose between resurrecting Krypton or saving Earth. Yeah. The fate of two worlds. Like pick one. Like nobody has a problem with him choosing Earth over Krypton. But like he literally (laughs) had this very dualistic black or white this or that. He didn't find a third option with that one. Nope. You know, but nobody throws any heat at him for that. But it was like, oh, how do you stop Zod? I, I don't see another way. If I let him live, all of Earth will suffer. I really don't want to kill him, but I have to. Yeah. So he's stuck into that same this or that type thinking. And I would like to see as they move forward with the character, him finding the third option. Him finding a way to get above that. Yeah, it would be great to see, uh, not, not necessarily him haunted, but like, you know, that he has taken something from that. And I don't, I don't necessarily want him to be all of a sudden skyrocketed into, like, the perfect conception of Superman. No, where, no, yeah. I mean, all of a sudden, he's always capable of solving the problem without, you know, killing anyone or hurting anybody. Nah, he, he would get boring if he was that good, if he was that excellent, that he could always find the way out of a problem. Yeah. With two options, he finds a third one. I just, I like to see it in Dawn of Justice. When he does kind of continue this thread of you have to make these hard choices when you make the wrong one when you make the right one half the world is saying it was right half of it was saying it was wrong you have to be above all of the criticism and just kind of follow your gut and make the right choices i like to see the evolution of that when we play this character forward he really does start to think how do i get outside of that yeah how do i get above that and struggling with it to kind of keep pushing towards that idea of leading by example and being excellent yeah. Being Superman, you know? He's got to have somewhere to go. Yeah. So I, I'll bring this in. Was there anything missing for you, Man of Steel? Oh, oh we're all done. You made all your... You, you talked about everything you want to talk about? Yeah. I feel like we're just getting started. <laughs> no, we've been talking for a while. I, yeah. I, I love this movie. I mean, I, I would love to talk about Dawn of Justice, so if we can do that, I guess, in a different podcast. Yeah, we're, we're trying to break it up into little pieces. We've done a lot of series lately. I thought it might be fun to just kind of dig in deep on just one piece. Yeah, I mean, I obviously have a lot to say, and all we covered was Man of Steel, so... That's right. I mean, yeah. Yeah, that, I mean, that's fine. All right, uh, the, the takeaway and, the, and the what's missing. Okay, yeah. What's missing from Man of Steel? Yeah. Uh, Batman! No. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. What? Man, what, what's missing from Man of Steel? <laughs> let, me, let me hit you with mine. You can think about it. Yeah, slap it to me. I'll think about it. So mine's small. Okay, there, what do you there, got? There are two pieces I, I would mention in, in the context of, you know, what might be missing. Uh, one, yeah, these are very small, almost technical issues. Like what? One, at the end of the flick, we go from him killing Zod and screaming in anguish over it to then, uh, I, I think it's like an aerial shot of Kansas, and then very quickly, we're in that scene where Superman takes out a military drone, it crashes, yeah. and then, you know, like the general guy and his, his right-hand chick... Yeah. And she makes a joke about how he's hot. And he's like, hey guys, what? You can't follow me. Yeah. I just think he's kind of hot. Like, the lightheartedness of that, and tone of that scene, 
of him crashing the drone. He's like, you know what that costs? And he's like, well, you know, whatever, trust me. <laughs> I grew up in Kansas. You're not supposed to be afraid of me. This is goofy. That scene is just so tonally different from what we've left just moments before when him, like, you know, the fate of Metropolis and possibly the world in this fight, and then he had to end his life and he was screaming in, in anguish over it. To go from that to, like, Shuck's jokes with, like, his arms crossed across his chest, it just felt a little too quick. And I honestly, you maybe could have, you know, made that transition better with, like, one more shot or something. I don't know. I would have preferred a more graceful transition. But it's small, that's technical. And two, when he when when he's got Zod almost in a headlock, and he's like, No, you don't have to do this, you know, stop it, and he's and he says never. You know, his eyes are kind of slowly raking across the, the wall towards his family. And then as many people have pointed out, um, if you wanted to kill those people, that's not how eyes work. Like he could have just looked further to the right. It doesn't matter where his head's locked into position. It's not like he was looking as far right as possible. It's Superman's moving his head. Like he can't look further. Like uh, in a very real technical way, he could have just looked more in that direction and ended those people's lives. I suppose. I mean, I, yeah, I'd have to. I don't know. I wasn't, they do I wasn't a good job. His thoughts. I, I mean, like, was did Superman have him in a headlock? Uh, he was. was broke his neck so like he was holding and I honestly don't head. know if it was a headlock or if it was just but he was he had his he was controlling his bodily position but he could just look with his eyes when when in reality he, yes <laughs> and like and they're playing it like he's like he's struggling to keep him from moving further right but he's succeeding in pushing further right and that's why the lasers are kind of going further and further across the wall towards the family like that's not how eyes work but they do a very good job like in the moment it's not really something you could Sitter. It's not something you like. Sit there going, "This is dumb." It's just afterwards that you're like, "Wait a minute." Uh, let me get, let me get this straight. You had time to prepare for this, so you sat down and you asked yourself, "What's missing from Man of Steel?" <laughs> and all you could come up with was a couple of nitpicks. That's right. Like that's it. That's right, sir. You love it that much. That's right. All right, I respect people, that. People complain about like, oh, you know, the whole, you know, why isn't he saving kittens all the time and he doesn't care about collateral damage and he fights the, the Kryptonians in Kansas and like, they're just throwing each other through oil tankers and... Yeah, it's super yeah. sloppy. That's what yeah. it looks like when gods fight each but other. But that's what I like, yeah. Like, he was I, telling people to go inside, lock exactly. their doors. Get inside. Not safe. He's just, he's fighting three super-powered Kryptonians. And he is not a warrior. He is not a trained soldier. These people are. I was bred to be a warrior, Cal. Trained my entire life. Where did you train? On a fog? He's never used his powers in a fight. He's yeah. always just lifting oil tankers and, you know, big Mack trucks. Yeah. He's never actually fought somebody. So it makes, kill them immediately. So, like, it makes perfect sense to me that it would be that sloppy, that he would not be that prepared, that he'd be knocking people across. And so this argument that, like, oh, he should have been compassionate and smart enough to, like, dupe them or, or have them chase him into an empty field. It's like, one, okay, no, come on. he doesn't necessarily need to be there because he's not there strategically he's not thinking about that he's thinking about not dying and saving this situation yeah he's mad and he's trying to survive and yeah after the fact he'd probably be like uh, I'm sorry about your Denny's man your IHOP <laughs> yeah. you know which one was it IHOP or Denny's uh, it was Pete Ross was working at IHOP it was IHOP yeah Pete Petey but also I, I, I would also say equally as important that uh, a fight between these gods in a cornfield would not be anywhere near as visually 
or dramatically interesting. I, I, I loved so, those no. fights, man. I loved how <laughs> mad he was. I loved how energetic he was. Uh, you know, when he's, when he's just dragging him and punching him in the face. <laughs> it's, it is sloppy and it's kind of brutal, man. Like, they, they knock Superman around. Yeah. You know, and he's putting up a good fight, but he's getting messed up. Yeah, he gets trounced. I liked how sloppy it was. You know what I mean? I liked the mass destruction yeah. at the end of the movie because, like, that's what this looks like. This is, you know, we're going to play this out in Dawn of Justice. Yeah. It becomes part of the narrative. Like, yeah, man, come on. You just destroyed, like, half a city block in four seconds. Yeah. Like, it's, it's literally dust. That's what this looks like. At the end of Man of Steel, they're standing in almost a crater of dust in what once was a couple skyscrapers. Like, and this is also, like, the most important thing that's happened in human history. Yeah! Aliens came to Earth, and, like, one of them fought to save us. I'm surprised yeah. half the planet isn't gone. Like, all of Tokyo is gone. You know what I mean? Like, yeah! He saved us. So, I mean, if we're looking at it from that perspective, this huge, globally important event, oh. I mean, he kept it pretty contained. Yeah! So I'm not gonna, I don't have a problem with that. Did a real good job. It adds to the realism, you know, especially, you know, seeing Perry White, like, run Running from a collapsing building. You're like, yes, that's exactly what this looks like. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah it should you should be terrified. And it feels viscerally real, you know, if you compare it to like the end of the Avengers, the first one. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't have the veracity of yeah, holy shit, man. It doesn't yeah. have that part to it. It's totally different tones. Not only, right? Yeah. Mar- Marvel very intentionally used a almost like identical looking faceless aliens so that you could feel okay about the Avengers just ending their lives left and right. Yeah, which is a good idea. I mean, I, I love Avengers. Yeah, yeah. And it, that is perfect for the story that they were telling. But in Man of Steel, when you're trying to say, let's make it real, let's do it dirty and gritty, man. Like, let's, let's see the reality of it. Yeah. That's what it looks like. Let's knock over skyscrapers. Let's have people die. Let's people have... getting stuck in the rubble and stuff. And yeah. Like, it's not meant to be... Uh... It's supposed to be harrowing. It's supposed to yeah. be scary. It's supposed to be scary. You know, it's... It's not gratuitous. It's on purpose. So you feel it on a ground level. Yeah. This is it. And I'm like, I respect that. I really like that you're doing it. Yeah. You're playing for keeps. Look at all this collateral damage. Yeah. And yeah, they'll touch this point a bunch in, in Batman vs. Superman. That, like, yeah, we didn't we didn't point it out too much. I mean, everybody did complain, so everybody got the point, definitely. But, like, yeah, people definitely died. Yeah, big time. There are plenty of buildings that even if you're going to say, oh, no, but the Daily Planet was evacuated. Let's just assume that magically everybody got out safe on that one building. That was one. That was one. Yeah, what about several, all the other ones? I mean, several we see go down. And then their fight, they fly, like, blocks and blocks away and toss each other through until they end up in the train station. Like, they're definitely people who died. It's a fight for the fate of the planet. Yes! Of course a lot of people died. There's gonna be memorials for everybody. It's gonna be massive. It's gonna be thousands of names carved into a wall. Yeah. Like this huge thing, the biggest thing in the history of mankind just happened. Yeah. And Superman saved us. Like, that's the point here. Oh, man. You wanna blame him for like... All the collateral damage? Like, I'm sure he feels it, man. He's got all that responsibility on his shoulders. Like, he knows. Yeah, yeah let's all uh, take a second, though, to remember that he literally single-handedly took out um, an alien piece of technology that was as large as, like, a giant skyscraper that was going to terraform the world. And it was in the Indian Ocean. It was half half the planet away from Metropolis. And he's like, I got this. Don't worry about it. Like, there's literally... What are they going to 
to do in the Indian Ocean. Nobody was going to do anything about that. You don't take out that machine, the planet goes. Yeah, the, the cost is really high. The consequences are really high. And if we're playing this for real, let's acknowledge it. Let's dig into that. Let's see Perry White running. Let's see Jenny getting stuck in all that rubble. Yeah. And them trying to get her out. Like, this is what it's like from a human perspective. You know, and if the tone was lighter, we would kind of try to avoid that and skirt the details. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you Snyder's like, that. no, no, it's important. We need to get up in that. We need to see that. Oh, man, that's another thing, though, I would have really like that I would have maybe done different it's uh when when zod and soups are fighting out in the in the metropolis cityscape <laughs> perry white and the rest of the daily planet just kind of watching for a while and i get it it's a it's a human reaction and it works because this is absolutely something people would be doing but just it, it was a little like hey perry you should have left like half a scene ago like you, what are you doing you need to run sir. like like i just and maybe that's my own conception of who perry white is but it was just like when it started you should have looked at it for a good 10 20 seconds and then gone okay everybody out <laughs> Let's yeah. get as far away as possible. Yeah, I mean, he's in awe. But he's also and a newsman. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he's in awe, definitely, like everybody he's, else. He's stuck, you know? Like, he's just he's just watching. He's just looking. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, that's a very human, realistic thing. And then eventually he's like, yeah, all right, let's get out of here. You know, it's getting crazy. All right, everybody, we're leaving. We're leaving the building now. But to kind of play into that, oh, man, what am I looking at kind of thing. And I'm like, yeah, that's what everybody was doing. They're all looking up at the sky saying, holy crap. Yeah. I like that you're taking the time to do those details that we're seeing it from the ground level yeah. and you're playing it for real but I do have an answer I got I got something for you hit me with it what I think was missing okay it's not it's not even a criticism I'm not even gonna say that it needs to be in the movie okay but thinking about it yes I could have included this this idea I'm about to say in four seconds <laughs> it's a very masculine story definitely you know Superman is a man so we're gonna kind of play it from that warrior man's responsibility type of angle which is a a very specific view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But watching Man of Steel again, I did just rewatch it about six months ago. Yeah. So it is pretty fresh in my head. I could have used, I don't even know if there's room in the story anymore after you've packed so many things in, but I could have used a little more attention on the, the female characters in the story. Yeah. I do feel like they were playing a lot of his dads, and we got significantly oh, yeah. less of his moms. Yeah, we got very little. I mean, not, not nothing. No, there is a lot. Yeah. Of, there's a lot of good stuff. Some of my favorite stuff is with Martha. You know, I really like what she was doing, and, and it carries yeah. over in a Dawn of Justice. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's there's a lot of juice there, and there's a lot of subtlety in it, and I really liked a lot of the stuff they were doing with Lois. Yeah. In, in both, in Man of Steel and in Dawn of Justice. You know, and I, and I do feel like, was there opportunities to do more, to dig deeper, to go further into the ideas of, you know, a, a feminine counterpoint to this idea of a Superman, like, where is the superwoman perspective to balance it out and to kind of bounce off it to make it a fully well-rounded story? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're saying what's missing, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and say that, like... Okay. And, and moving forward, like, the more that they're doing with Martha, I really liked that Martha was in Dawn of Justice. Yeah. I really liked that they used her. I was like, you could easily just have her back in Kansas. We're not, we're too busy. We're not gonna talk about Superman's mom right now. Yeah, they I easily like, could have left her off. But I really liked that character, and I want to see more. I want to I see you dig deeper on that, and her role as his mom. Yeah. You know, like, Jonathan got so much to do in the first one in shaping him, and it was like, yeah, Martha's here, and she has her own influence, and you see more of it as, you know, him as, as an adult, the influence and the significance that she's playing in his life to shape who he is. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you're gonna do a child growing up, 
I mean, the mother usually has the most influence on raising a child. You know what I mean? So, like, if we could have seen a little more of that side, just to, I, I don't even know where it fit. It's yeah, a very masculine story, go. so it's like, I understand what you're doing, but to say what's missing, I don't know, in the in the two minutes I was thinking about it, that's what popped in my head first. Yeah, more, more of the femininity. Yeah, the feminine side, and, and just, it is about all the characters that influence Superman becoming Superman. Yeah. So the two biggest feminine influences would be Lois and Martha. Yeah. You know, and they do have a lot of good stuff. I like everything they did. Yeah. So, I mean, to say it's missing, I mean, not, it's not missing, but I could use some more. Yeah. We could dig deeper, but I'd say that about anything ever. You can always dig deeper on everything. Yeah, that's true. All right, so what would you say is the takeaway from Man of Steel? Ooh. What's the takeaway of Man of Steel? There's a lot. There's a few different. We can talk about it from the critical perspective because, you know, the reaction was so divided. But I don't, I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about the story itself. <laughs> okay, yeah. I want to talk about, for me, the takeaway was the thematic stuff that I was talking about. How can you weave different ideas into a story and have them personified by characters? If you have the idea that Superman is a symbol... That he is an idea, and yeah. then you make him into a man. You have an idea, and you make it into Zod. You personify it with this idea. You know, this idea becomes a person. I like to do this, yeah. and I love it when I see other people doing it in stories where you wrap up characters into a concept, into an idea. I think it really yeah. elevates the art and the storytelling that it's no longer people fighting each other. It's ideas. It's philosophies waging war with each other and a tug of war back and forth. And I really think Man of Steel did that extremely well. Yeah, there's an organicness to it. It's not It's not like they, they came up with ideas and they give you cardboard cutout symbols that like look like people to fight it out. Like it is it's definitely a really good example of taking your world cubby, your uh, your moral cubby, your character cubbies, and all just kind of twist them around each other. They're not cubby copying, no. but they are definitely synergistically like orbiting around each other in an organic display of, of cross-referencing. It's great. Yeah, and it's perfect for this story of the idea that Superman has a symbol that is universally recognized, and to say that 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 symbol means hope. The symbol of the house of El means hope. Yeah. You know, I mean, this whole thing, this gotta, whole story is justified. is a symbol. Ideas personified in an image, and to take the filmmaking and the storytelling, and to roll into that theme that this whole movie is one big visual symbol that has concentrated meaning to it. So when you look at it from a really artistic perspective of what Snyder was doing in making this film, he's taking that theme into the realm of the storytelling itself. I think that's really awesome. So, I mean, for me, that would be the takeaway. That's not even so much the storytelling itself, but it's more like the filmmaking as a film. Yeah. That's the takeaway. That's what you could learn by watching this. To say, like, how am I a better storyteller? Or how am I a better artist? Or what did I learn? What am I taking away from this story? It is kind of a crash course in that idea. So for me, I mean, but that's that's a really specific thing that I don't know that, you know, a, a general audience cares about that. You know, like, I mean, other writers, other filmmakers, or just other artists or people who are thinking from an artistic as opposed to uh, entertainment lens. Yeah. If you're going to take the time to engage with it and pick it apart and you're going to be a, you know, a critic for a second, I think that's the, the thing they did extremely well. And so that would be my takeaway. Yeah. What's yours? Yeah. 
I think uh, it might be one of a couple things, but one of the biggest things that stands out is is this idea of, of the interface between expectation and the story itself. Back to the original thing you were saying. Yeah. Like Expectations, this, yeah. Like this, uh, I don't I don't know that they necessarily made the film and said, Hey, you know what's probably going to happen? There's probably a good percentage of the population that's going to watch this and say, That's not Superman. And be kind of at least disheartened, if not pissed off, at our characterization. I really like the idea that that happened, though. <laughs> yeah. But I don't, like, I don't even think they necessarily made it and were and and took that into account. Not because they're missing it. Not because they're failing at their job, but just that I think they thought they had it. And they were taking it in an interesting, organic, authentic direction. It didn't occur to them just how stuck a different image was in everyone's head. That symbol is branded into people's brains, and if you try to twist it or change it in a different direction, even though he's essentially the same, there might be a lot of resistance. And I think, I really do, or at least I hope, that, you know, ten years from now, Man of Steel, people will watch it again and be like, wow, man, this is really good. Like, if they can kind of get used to that and adjust yeah, to it, you know, and like the repeat viewings be like, actually, you know what? I really dig this. This is really cool. Yeah. It's kind of like, it's a unique problem. It's a, it's only with characters that have been this iconic and been around for so long and had so many different media representations. Yeah, and people really care and they're really emotionally they're really invested, invested in it. Yeah. You know, I mean, like James Bond has had different types of the character, but you know, nobody's yeah. watching Casino Royale and being like, that's not James Bond. Where's the invisible car? You know, like, that's a different version of James <laughs> Bond. But, like, nobody's that yeah. emotionally in I mean, maybe there are a bunch of people out there who are like, man! Yeah, there might be some, yeah. But He's I, too I, gritty. He's too pissed off. But I think the thing there, too, would be, like, that would be a vanishingly small amount of that core, hardcore James Bond audience who yeah. loved the more invisible car Pierce Brosnan era more than the Daniel Craig era. Mm. Right? Because yeah, I feel that, like... That's what I'm trying to say. Like, Superman is loved by everybody. I mean, that character is... It lives and breathes in the hearts and minds of people who grew up with him. Yeah. You know? And and they have a very set idea. They're very passionately engaged. So that's yeah. why I really do like the idea that some people really like this movie. Other people really hated it. Yeah, like, to me, yeah. that just means that they really cared. Well, definitely, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I dig it. Artistically, I dig it. If everybody loves it, that's kind of boring to me, so... Yeah. It's a unique problem, but I feel like it's a... In a storytelling tradition, it's 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 almost something that modern society hasn't had to touch for a while. Mm. Like, there are only a few properties that this would be an issue with. Mm. Like, Superman's one, Batman is likely another, you know... Uh, yeah, like you were saying, James Bond has a legacy of... It's been around for a long time. The interpretation are not wildly different. Uh-uh. But, like, there are different eras that get more or less goofy. But nobody's had that, like, visceral, oh, that's not my James Bond reaction, really. Uh-uh. But, like, you know, you could maybe argue Star Wars is definitely another one. Sure. Like, Lucas did the prequels and everybody lost their minds because it didn't really match the world and the type of characters and stories they wanted. Yeah. So they just were like, nope, it's awful. Get it out of here. I mean, the, the little kids liked it, but, but the yeah. people who grew up with the tales were like, uh-uh. Oh, you betrayed me. Sure. This is only going to be a concern for certain characters of certain legacy and time. Yeah, the time is a big factor. But it is interesting because Batman and Superman have had the most incarnations of these characters. Yeah. Way more than like Star Wars or James Bond or okay. other stuff we're talking about. Yeah. Like, there's like nine different versions of Batman. Yeah. You could say like, oh, I hate the Adam West stuff. 
because it's campy. Yeah. It's like, that's part of Batman. Yeah. That whole vibe is just over here, and then way over here is like Frank Miller gritty stuff. Yeah. Or like Chris Nolan stuff, or Tim Burton stuff. You know, or some of the animated series stuff. Like, there's so many different versions and styles of Batman to choose from. Yeah. You could line them up and be like, oh, there's, there's like literally 12 different vibes of this character. So it's like, take your pick. There aren't 12 different James Bond vibes. No. Like the Roger Moore and the Sean Connery ones, they're pretty similar. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, you get moon bases involved and it starts getting a little trippier, but yeah, generally I mean, speaking. I mean, yeah, like Timothy Dalton stuff. You know, and then, yes, like the Pierce Brosnan to Daniel Craig is probably the biggest divide of like, you got into the invisible car shenanigans of the James Bond stuff for like, yeah, going to the moon and then jetpack yeah. and like crazy stuff. Or it's him killing a guy in a bathroom wearing a tuxedo. You know, it's just a guy with a gun kicking ass. I was like, yeah, yeah, There are kind of like two different versions of James Bond. And, you know, stuff in between that. You know, but like with Batman or Superman, it's like, come on, man. There's like 15 by now. You can pick and choose which Superman you like. Yeah. So it's kind of weird to reject, uh, we're doing this version. That's not him. You're like, dude, him is like 15 different hymns. What are you talking about? Yeah, and it's just, yeah, I guess... It's like Batman's definitely had a different, a, a varying array of interpretations. Superman has two, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's a little easier for Batman to point to because Adam West was so campy for a dark gothic character. Yeah. The animated series is somewhere in the middle, or like the, the Brave and the Bold animated show. You know, like, what? who's that Batman? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, where does he fall on the spectrum here? You're like, sure, but I mean, Superman has, a lot, at least for me, the way I see the character, he has a lot of different versions, man. I'm thinking like 90s comics. Superman. I'm thinking early 2000. I'm thinking right now, the new 52 stuff. Like, yeah. And then, you know, Smallville. Lois and like Clark. The- like, I mean, he was blue and red for a while back in the 90s, like early 2000s. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And the first, like in the 30s when he first came out and stuff. Yeah. And early old, yeah, you go even further back to George Reeves stuff, the Christopher Reeves Superman. I mean, there's so many different versions of who this guy is and the vibe and the tone to him that when you look at the, I see an entire spectrum. You're like, well, who are you talking about? You talking about the Boy Scout? You talking about the Midwest farmer vibe Superman I get from like George Reeves kind of guy? You know, you talking about like the newspaper man type of Superman? Yeah. Like there's there's so many different versions. I like the warrior Hercules version character. Yeah. That's my jam. So yeah, if you throw like Superman Returns at me, like this is my least the pacifist Superman is my least favorite Superman. Yeah. The the Jesus Messiah figure is my least favorite. Yeah. But I mean there is a wide range of uh, who that character is. Is, and that's part of the cool part of Superman. Yeah, it just means a lot of different things. I just think part of it, right, is that it, it's much more obvious with Batman. Yeah. That there are definitely different eras that are popularly acknowledged and seen. Like, even people who don't care about comics or care about the character in general are still aware that Adam West wore a suit and ran around as Batman. Yeah, or, or like Batman and Robin, you know. Yeah, or they at least saw trailers for Batman and Robin and maybe heard that other people weren't in love with it and then definitely saw something for Burton's Batman in 89 and then saw one of the Nolan movies like whereas Superman I feel like there is a popular conception that there is a a definite through line that George Reeves and Christopher Reeves and then you know and even arguably Dean Cain and Lois and Clark and then uh and then Brendan Routh and Superman Returns that it's all just very very slight variations on the same idea and that they're all sort of trying to hit the same core Superman interpretation and when they when they look at that it's the main thing, then outliers seem a little more like, what? 
That's fair. I mean, that's fair. Let me ask you this. When you think of Superman, which version do you think of? Like, who's the Superman that lives in your head? Oh, I mean, that's hard to... It's hard to narrow it down. It's a, it's an amalgamation of a very different Superman. <laughs> sure, but I mean, is it Christopher Reeve? No. No. Is it Dean Cain? No. No, and I grew up on Lois and Clark, but like, I think of him as a Superman. Yeah. Same as like a Michael Keaton Batman. Yeah. But I mean, he's not the Superman that lives in my head. No. You know, like, I, I, it, probably the Superman that lives in my head is an amalgamation of, you know, I guess prototypical Superman in my head is is written by Grant Morrison and drawn by Howard Porter. <laughs> that's that specific that's really run specific. In, the, in the mid to late 90s of Justice League yeah. where it was just crushing and the art was fantastic and like high concept awesome stories and, and weirdness and but, but he looked very classic Superman mm-hmm. and that would probably be my uh, that would probably be my prototypical Superman but I also think Cavill fits right in there with that Cavill is probably my favorite live action Superman yeah definitely not just the way that he looks because he does look like Superman. But, I mean, in the way that he plays it. Yeah. In the meditative, quiet, introspective, very thoughtful, but very kind. Like, that's the traits that I ascribe to Superman. Yeah. Like, my prototypical Superman, I do think of uh, Grant Morrison's Justice League comics in the 90s. Yeah. You know, and, and that includes when he was blue for a while. <laughs> you know, because he's still the same guy. Yeah. But that kind of, the, the quiet compassion that he has. I think of Superman. I think of him. Like, the animated series did this a little bit. Yeah. With Superman in the, the Fortress of Solitude. And he's got all these different alien animals that he's keeping. Right? It's kind of like a zoo yeah. a little bit. Yeah. You know, and he's just kind of bombing around and, like, he's feeding them. And he's just kind of saying, like, hey, what's up, guys? Like, <laughs> yeah. that, that very, like, he's just, like, surviving. They're, like, last surviving of their race or yeah. something, of their species. And he's He's just being a farmer, and he's just taking care of him. But you know that he's in this crazy fortress of solitude. Yeah. And this is some kind of, like, alien rhino beast thing that he's got here. Yeah. And he's just kind of, you know, just petting him, giving him some food. And he's like, oh, what? The world's in danger? I gotta suit up. Let's go. <laughs> or, like, Superman hanging out on, like, you know, the satellite Justice League watchtower. Yeah. You know, and it's, like, 2 in the morning, and he's sipping on some cocoa. <laughs> <laughs> Reading a book. Yeah, and that, like, that's why do I think of this as Superman? It's like because it's the quiet, the meditative. He just seems like he would be super soothing to be around. <laughs> and like that's not really, yeah. you know. So I don't have an idea of like, no, it's Christopher Reeve. Like that's Superman to me. Nah. I was like, I don't really think like that. I'm, I'm thinking more like his vibe. And so like, it's not a specific. I can't point to any of them. Yeah, but I mean, in the popular conception, I, th- I feel like that's definitely a big part of it, right? And yeah, then, I understand that. Other people have that. What I was trying, what I was getting at is, is this concern, this this issue of how the audience is interfacing with your story. It's something that would have been super prevalent back in the day, mm. like uh, like the Odyssey, as told by Homer. Is just that that story was not his. Mm-hmm. It was like a cultural artifact. It was an oral story yeah. that many people would have told. It's just that's the version we have because it was what somebody wrote. It was what because it was written down and passed down through antiquity into our modern time. But that's not the only version of the Odyssey. And most oral tradition stories are very, very much like, you know, bullet points or primal points of the story that are then 
very consciously by it, it, even the most, like, rudimentarily decent storyteller. Adapted to the people you're talking to. Adapted to the very specific audience you're speaking with right then. Yeah, there's definite audience engagement, and you should be aware of it, and not cater to it, but interact with it when you're telling your story. Which I think Man of Steel did do. If it wants you to think, and it wants you to engage, they succeeded. Well, Even yeah, the people who are definitely against it. Or what you were saying about Mark Wade standing up and yelling at the screen. Yeah. And it's like, uh, how did you feel about Superman Returns? <laughs> I would love for him to say, lukewarm. You know? <laughs> it's like, were you that passionate? Were you that engaged? I mean, this is art here. I mean, it's pop culture, but it is also art. We are telling a story here, and it is engaging with the audience. It is challenging the audience's idea of who is Superman, because that's what the story's about. It's not about him fighting Zod. It's about who am I? What's my place in the world? How does the world react? That's what they're going for with this story. We're deconstructing Superman while building him up. You know, the idea of constructing a, a man who is a Superman. What does that look like? Yeah. So to do both at the same time, you have the engagement with the audience. So I guess it couldn't go any other way other than super divisive. The audience is torn. You know, yeah. I'm on the side of I love it. I think this was fantastic. You tried to do so much more than any other on-screen Superman story I've ever seen. And I feel like you succeeded at everything. Yeah. It's just it's just interesting that it's like most stories even with known ident uh, like even with known IP would still not have this issue. This is not but it's much it's so much closer to primal person to person storytelling that you would have had back in the day. Yeah. You would have had in small tight knit communities of like one fifty or less or like or even in a in a more established, you know, city state situation like ancient Greece or something else. Like you know, oh it's festival day, so the king's gonna sit around and you know the uh, the orator, the storyteller is going to tell everybody a story. And like, we know that we might be going to war with the neighboring province. So I'm going to tell this classic story of this renowned cultural hero who may or may not even have existed, but I'm going to spend time with that classic part in the story where he has to decide whether or not to fight his, you know, brother-in-law. And I'm going to speak around those ideas in a way that informs what our society is deciding or not deciding to do about this war situation soon. Like, that's... You're, you're in the moment adapting to the actual social situation. And this isn't exactly the same thing, but it's definitely closer than most stories or television tend to be nowadays. Yeah, that's... That's actually a really interesting point because the interpretations of these DC characters right now is the idea that they are Greek mythology in a way, you know? Yeah. The Greek mythology influence on these characters, especially, you know, Wonder Woman. Yeah. But, you know, it being applied to Superman, like my favorite version being a Hercules-type version of the character, Snyder, I think, definitely agrees yeah. in the way that he's portraying him, you know, and what he was doing with Batman and Donna Justice and stuff. Yeah. The idea that it is Greek mythology. So to say that stylistically, the narrative way in which the story's being told, the idea of how it should be told, follows a very Greek mythology influence and kind of a Greek philosophy approach. You know, the idea of kind of like Beowulf, you know, that's what I'm thinking while you're talking right now of the, you know, the oral story and the way that it's told, the way that it's presented to an audience and, the, you know, the way that it's constructed and, like, the, the tone and the vibe to it. That's actually a really interesting point that, you know, the the content and the style 
style in which it's being presented to the audience is cohesive and it gels with each other, you know? I mean, that's a really cool idea. I hope it was on purpose, you know? (laughs) I hope Snyder was thinking about it when he was making the movie. I suppose, uh, definitely some of the mythic hero, definitely, yeah. That's definitely Yeah, all the Greek mythology influence stuff and all of those ideas, but maybe the idea of, like you were saying, you know, if this story is a lot like Beowulf, how can we make the movie so it feels like that? How do we hit that that chord, that tone? Uh-huh. You know, how do we hit that vibe? How do we do it? And the more impressionistic kind of vibe to the the story, and and the way that it's it's through a narrow lens of his perspective, that authorship to it. If somebody else were to tell this exact same story, they would probably do it way different. You know, uh-huh. if Grant Morrison writes this book or Jeff Johns writes this book, you know, like yeah. it's the same story. But like, if you're familiar with their work, that's very different. Yeah, those would be very different. Very different. I'd be interested to see both. Yeah, because I like both of them. It just, I, I think that's really cool if, if Snyder was thinking that how do we make it feel like a myth being passed down through the ages yeah I mean it does definitely feel like something that's been uh, at least filtered through a lens of modernity like he like he definitely was they were all seemingly putting the work in to like have the story and the characters speak to modern concerns yeah at least in the sense of like how do we ground it how do we focus on his humanity and search for meaning and identity and that's those are very human concerns but retain all of the core pieces, including his supernatural abilities and his his being from a different place and being a fish out of water. Like, how do we keep all of that, but also focus primarily on the identity and the humanity? Which is is fairly modern. It's fairly, you know, current. Or at least feels that way. So yeah, that would be my takeaway, that it's definitely, it's an interesting example of a classic storytelling context that you don't typically see with modern film being being done. It's like, this is what happens. This is the dialogue between the audience and, and art when you get a character that's so beloved and, and lives in people's heads in a certain way. When you try to push out the edges of that a little too hard, some of them are going to balk. And I, I wouldn't have it any other way. You know, I think that's part of what made it so artistically successful is that it did polarize the audience. Yeah. It does remind me of Grant Morrison comics. You know, if yeah. people who appreciate it, love it, and some people hate it. And I was like, when you're doing something really cool and really interesting, yeah, it should have that strong of a reaction. If you pleased everybody, I don't know, I think there's more value in that there are people on the opposite side, because it's making everybody think. If it's universally loved by everybody, I don't think you challenged anybody. Yeah, I suppose that's true most of the time. You could have reached for more, is all I'm saying. So I would say, I mean, it's to me, it's a rousing success. Alright, well... Yeah, we would normally do best and favorite. Oh, well, we're not gonna do it? Uh, I mean, yeah... Does that even make sense in this context? You you got a best and favorite moment? Like, what's the best part of the movie, but what's my favorite part of the movie? Sure. Yeah, this is the first time we've talked about only a single film. Yep. That is, that is tough. That is tough. Uh, off the top of my head, I am going to say that, yeah, probably the best part of the film is right there in the middle when Clark does meet Jarrell. They're in, you know. Okay. I think that is the best scene in the movie. The two of them interacting, huh. learning all the history about crypto 
on. But then also, I feel like all of the themes just came together in that moment, and it really just kind of exploded out into the second half of the film. So I, I do think, storytelling-wise, you know, screenwriting-wise, the best scene, and in the performances, I would say, is right there. It's in that scene. That, that really did pop out really quick in my head. If I had to say what's the best scene, okay, or the best part of the story, I'd say right there. My favorite part, though. Yeah. Oh, man. I like all of it. Well, let me cut you off. I, I'm going to talk a little bit about I don't think I can think of a, a best. So I'm going to give you several favorites. Just in shotgun mode. I got I got when he finally decides to turn himself over. That shot of him flying in the sky, just hovering. Ooh. While the military in the desert there, looking up. And he's blocking the sun. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's great. But, but not, not even just that moment. But like, that in the next few moments. And including, actually, I think this is earlier, actually. When, uh, when he's in the interrogation room with Lois. His nonchalantness. Oh, it's like it's like he's enjoying the time with her. The fact when he gets up and he just breaks the the handcuffs, the handcuffs yeah, with yeah, like yeah. no effort whatsoever, and walks yeah. up to the to the you know one way glass mm-hmm. and talks to them about how they can't control him. Let's put our cards on the table here, General. You're scared of me because you can't control me. You don't, and you never will. But that doesn't mean I'm your enemy. Like, all of those moments. That, the him flying, floating, the him talking to Lois right before he goes with Zod, where he's just, it's just like a quiet half moment. Like, it's nothing, nothing very expository about it. It's pretty cool. I mean, that, that's what I'm thinking, all the things that are running through my head. Of, like, my favorite stuff, it is all these little moments that, you know, I mean, I appreciate because I pick up on them, because I've also seen it, like, four times now. But it, it is this, the subtlety and the little details. You know, it is, like Jonathan Kent saying, you know, maybe he should let them all die. Yeah. You know, it's it's the little the little dialogue points. It is, you know, some of the stuff with him and Lois, and it is some of the, you know, the meditative quality when he's floating in the ocean, you know, after he saves all the guys on the rig. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's like the, the meditative stuff or the little the little human moments that are peppered in. You know, something like that's that's not one thing, or like that, oh that's you know the best scene, but I think that's the best quality of the film is the attention to the detail and all the little human moments that you add into it, you know, especially like in really massive big fights. Yeah. You know, like, you remember the part where, uh, uh I don't remember his character's name, but Christopher Maloney, okay. you know, one of the soldiers, when he's fighting a Kryptonian, and you know, and he knows he's screwed, but he pulls a knife, and he's like, he's like, let's go! A good death is its own reward. <laughs> he's about to die. It's gonna happen in four seconds. Like, Superman saves him. Yeah. You know, but the idea that, like, he's not gonna go down. I'm fighting this crazy alien, this super-powered god. Yeah. But he's scrappy, man. And yeah. he's just like, let's go, let's do it! It's a total so- soldier-warrior move. Yeah. But the details, the fact that you would care to include this in this movie, where, like, characters like this would usually get brushed to the side. But in that moment, I feel like this guy's a living, breathing dude, you know? Yeah. I really, I get this guy. He's out of bullets, and he's like, well, I still got a knife. <laughs> I was like, come on, man. You, you, you can't fight her with a knife, but it's all he's got. Yeah. That scrappiness, you know, and that, that quality peppered throughout. Yeah. yeah. I also love that fight at the end. Clark, oh, yeah. Clark and Zod. And then that moment we're in the building, and then, like, Clark kind of just goes horizontal as the ground is falling out around them and stuff. 
That's not fantastic. You've never seen that in a live-action Superman before, that kind of hovering flying. Yeah, he floats up and it just looks perfect. Yeah, it just looks pitch perfect for what that should look like when Superman does it. It's so great. So good. The attention to detail. That's what I'll say is is, uh, is the best. All right. I mean, I mean, I said you know it was the it was the scene with Jarrell, but I mean, uh, it's it's too hard to say. Like, what's the best scene? What's your favorite scene? Or what's the best part? What's your favorite part? Yeah. I'm gonna say that's the, like the best part of this film was the attention to detail, and my favorite part is all the little the human moments that are peppered throughout. All right. Well, that's uh that's some good pieces. I think that's some good work. This has been a double fat episode. Has it been a long time? Ah, uh, just maybe. Just maybe. This might be the longest podcast we've ever done is the one about a single film. That's right. Amazing. You know, unless we uh, went back and chopped out a bunch of stuff, in which case what we're saying right now makes no sense. No. Anyway. Impossible. Go ahead. You got uh, questions. Go ahead and uh, send them on in to Bones Bros. at storyshamans.tv. You know, we'll read them. We'll do stuff with them. Send them on in. Uh, you know, if you haven't checked out the blog, check us out, storyshamans.tv. Uh, we've also got all the videos. They're up at the blog. Uh, you can just watch through all of those. We got them all about the cubbies. All about the seventh season kind of television structure. Give them a watch. See what you think. It's all embroiled in all the kind of stuff we're talking about here. Alright, well I think that brings us to an end. Animals. We'll see you next time. In the Bones Cave. Bones Cave!